Last week, or two weeks ago, after the service, Tyler approached me and said, well, what do you think we should plan for for the Sunday after surgery? I said, you know, should we try and get somebody from the pool to fill in, and would I be willing? And there's something that had been kind of mulling in my mind for some time now. And I told him I'd be willing to share in his place and maybe it's sort of like a good steward chili. After it's been sitting for a while, it tends to blend together. So hopefully <laughs> I had some time to gather my thoughts and put this together. Um, when I told Tyler my title, I said one thing, but he added the word the in front of it, but it's close enough that we'll have it. Um, you know, many people have sort of their ultimate goal. What they you know, think would be the crowning achievement to their lives. And, you know, it could be wealth, a relationship, an accomplishment, a position, a title, fame, a knowledge, you know, to pursue great understanding of something. And there's not necessarily something wrong with those things. But the kind of question that comes up is, even if these things are not inherently bad, what if that one thing is not the best thing? You know, what should be the one thing we pursue for our lives? And just to mention the scriptures I'll be sharing, I'll be sharing from the New American Standard Version. It's a very good translation. Uh, if you do get it, I recommend the 1995 version of it. There's a more recent revision which I would not recommend. But anyway, Isaiah 55 2, it says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for that what for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. You know, God says there's things you can spend your money on or your life on and it can ultimately it may not satisfy but he offers what is good and just a couple of weeks ago I believe Tyler shared from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and in verse 11 there it has in the middle of that verse he has also set eternity in their heart so the man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. And that's interesting. In each one of our hearts, God says, I put eternity. Takes, takes a lot to fill up eternity. You know, you kind of think, what would it take to fill the Grand Canyon? Well, that's finite. But there's something in each of us that it's going to take something more to satisfy. And what would that be? Well, it might have to do with the one thing. In some of the Hindu writings, they raise a question, what is that knowing which everything becomes known? And that's an interesting question. Is there one thing that when you know it, it becomes the doorway to knowing everything. 
Well, it is possible, but not the way that they would think. But I want to consider, though, some examples from the Bible where different ones expressed one thing, the one thing in their lives. And the first one that comes to mind to me is David, especially because of Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, verse 4, it starts right off with it. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. That's Psalm 27, verse 4. David had a desire in his heart. In another place, in Psalm 132, it's verses 1 through 5, he writes, Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, Surely I will not enter my house, nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David went through a lot in his life. He was you know, a shepherd boy. He went from that to fighting a giant. And from that he was running for his life from King Saul, having to be in hiding. And then eventually he became king over Israel and that led to even other battles and conflicts, but he accomplished so much. All the nations about, the enemies were subdued. And in the process of that, he acquired for Israel incredible wealth in the process. We'll see a little bit more about that. Yet, in the midst of all that, David did not forget the one thing. And when things were done, he brought it forth. He said, hey, let's get this done. And he was speaking with Nathan the prophet. And Nathan first told him, go ahead and do it. But then the Lord said to Nathan that night, go back and tell David, no, because you've been a man of war, it'll be your son that does it. And so David was, God made a real promise to David at that same time. But David took that, but it doesn't mean he just sat back. It was still his one thing. And you read about what he provided for the building of the temple in First Chronicles 22 and verse 11. He says, with great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stones, stone, too, I have provided. And there's even more that he gives of his own personal wealth in First Chronicles 29. Now, maybe it doesn't mean a whole lot to you, 100,000 talents of gold, but it's believed that a talent in that day was 75 pounds. That's a lot of gold. 
and a million, tal a million talents of silver. And I, again, much of that came from the conquest that David had been on. But he gave, this I'm giving for the house of the Lord. And he turned it all over to Solomon. David actually stepped down from the throne early so Solomon could come to the throne so he could build the temple. And Solomon carried that out. Do you know that that temple tells us in 1 Kings chapter 6, all this stuff was covered with gold. The entire temple, the whole building, inside and out, was overlaid with gold. In fact, later on, some kings scraped the gold off the doors to pay a debt. But yep, once there you see a gold dome, say a capital or something, or sometimes such, think of it, what an entire building blazing in the sun would look like. That was quite an accomplishment. But what was it? Why was this something that was so important to David? Well, he knew one thing that would satisfy. And like he said in that first verse, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David wanted to have that close, intimate relationship with his God and to fill his minds with God's thoughts and God's ways. And he wrote in Psalm 65, verse 4, How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house and your holy temple. That was David's one thing. Now another story came to mind. As, and again, we have heard this fairly often, but... Peter wrote in one of his epistles, even though you know these things, I'm going to remind you of them. So let's be reminded. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, speaks of Jesus traveling with his disciples. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. One thing is really only necessary. Now, it tells us Martha was the one that invited Jesus into her home. So it would tend to say she was the one in charge of the house. Mary was probably her younger sister. But... It would have been her responsibility then to be sure that the meal was, was served, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it says Martha was distracted. 
means drawn away, overoccupied, too busy about a thing. She was dragged around by it. And that's where the problem came. A story was told about a minister who spoke on this passage and had, was, had been invited to lunch at the family of one of the members of the church. So they were sitting there in the living room and he was talking and time just went on and on. And finally he stopped and said, where's the food? You know, and they thought, well, you were just giving this example. We just want to sit here and listen to you. Well, you know, some things need to be taken care of. But Martha was just distracted. And what she was doing distracted her. And that's, I think, the key. Not to be distracted, but to be able to sit and enjoy what God has given us. And Mary was receiving. And with that song we just sang, it's based on Matthew 4, verse 4. It says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which is being quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8. But the words, the things that God has to speak to us and say to us, or unlike any other words. I almost thought I could stand here and just read scriptures. And because what God has to say is far more important than what I have to say. But sometimes I think we can remember things, get hold of things a little bit better <laughs> with a little bit more interjected. But that verse I began with, if I can find my page one. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. God knows what will ultimately satisfy. And it's more than just everyday food. In the book of Job, chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, he says, My foot has felt held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so for, here from this, you see that there's a one thing and that one thing can be related to hearing and understanding and laying hold of what it is God says to us and really allowing those things to really satisfy us within. But the third example that came to my mind is that of the Apostle Paul. A little bit of a longer passage here, but it really sets the tone for it. It's from Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 through 14. Paul writes, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable, conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said this one thing I do. That was pursuing, pressing forward for the calling which God had made in his life. He didn't want to know that he had just done what even the religious people of the world said was right, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. It says, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Paul was willing to lay everything else aside that he might pursue that. I'm just going to go on to another example. And this is kind of a little different type, a different sense of a one thing. But this is the story of what is known as the rich young ruler. It occurs in all three of the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are just more of a historical account, whereas the gospel of John is more of a themes and teachings related to the life of Jesus. In fact, it's even believed that the other three Gospels were written first, and then the early church commissioned the Apostle John to write his account, which gives us much more of an intimate insight into the life of Jesus and the things he taught. But the rich young ruler, the three Gospels, those three, first three Gospels, Sometimes it just says a man came, and sometimes it tells us he was a young man, he was youth. Other places tell us he was a ruler, and they all tell us he was rich. So you put that together, you get the rich young ruler. And in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, it tells us, and someone, there you have it, just he was someone, came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? 
some of the other gospels tell us Jesus looked at him and loved him. It says, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. In this case, you see, one thing was lacking. This young man felt he had lived everything right. Well, Jesus didn't chide him. You know, some of us might be tempted to say, oh, come on, do you know what it says? You know, if you even think this way, you committed it. Jesus didn't even bring that up with him. But he just said to him, if you wish to be complete, something was holding this young man back. And that one thing needed to be let go of. But what was, what was it that he needed to do? Well, the last thing Jesus said, come, follow me. And if there's anything that we're holding on to that keep us from really following Jesus Christ, might consider if you need to let go of it. Because ultimately, you will. <laughs> it's said that after the death of John D. Rockefeller, you know, who was at the time one of the wealthiest men, someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave? And the accountant replied, he left everything. <laughs> he left everything. There was another young man named Jim Elliott. He and four companions had gone to reach uh, known as the Aka Indians, a native tribe in South America, I believe it was. And they spent ways trying to make contact with them and they knew they were going to be. And so when they, they did, they met them and they were all slaughtered. I'll never forget the time when I was in college when his widow, Elizabeth Elliot, was speaking at our chapel service and talking about different things that came out of it. And then towards the end, she said, I want to introduce you to the man who killed my husband. And she said it with her voice full of love. And you, if, the chapel were, were, was silent, but you could almost hear the jaws hitting the floor. And then this man came up, and he was translated, I believe, and he shared how God had touched his life, how he had been saved through Jesus Christ as a result of that which was begun by Jim Elliot and his companions giving their lives. But Jim Elliot said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Many other things I need to kind of jump ahead, but these four examples, kind of a common thread to my thinking, 
David wanted to dwell in God's house, to behold his beauty and hear him. Mary was choosing the better part to hear and listen and sit at Jesus' feet. Paul's pursuit was that I may know him. Rich young ruler needed to deal with what kept him from following Jesus. Kind of gives us a hint with what, what the Bible says could be the one thing. Now, I've been going longer than I should have, but there's something more I just want to consider. Kind of gets us into a little bit of what we're considering in the season of Lent as well. And that's, I think Tyler alluded to this earlier, a few weeks ago or last week, the old saying, what would Jesus do? And that's good because it tells us we ought to walk as he walked. Well, in John chapter, I'm going to go quickly here, verses 26 through 29, Jesus said, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. And he went on to say, I can do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And in John chapter 4, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Interesting, too, we're hearing about that which does not satisfy, that which is true bread, that which, you know, not living by bread alone. And Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then at the garden, when he is coming to the cross, before we'd be facing it, as he ended that prayer, not my will, but thy will be done. It tells us in Philippians 2 how he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. He was willing to let go of it. So what was most important to Jesus was doing the will of his Father. That's what he came to do. Now, it involved the cross, but even more than that was just to be living in perfect obedience to his Father, in perfect submission. And during the Lenten season, we often think about, well, something we give up. Well, think about what Jesus gave up. One other thing quickly, though, think about what was the one thing for the Father? Well, the one thing for the Father was his Son. As Jesus is personified in Proverbs chapter 8 as wisdom, it speaks by, I was always before him, and I was always his daily his delight. And the Father's delight was his Son. But then think about this. At the cross, the Son gave what was most important to him. When the sins of the world were laid on him, that fellowship he had known from eternity was broken because God could not look upon him. 
And he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the father gave what was most important to him, his precious son that he had delighted in. He could not delight in him as the sins of the world were being laid upon him. Sometimes the cross is referred to as the center of two eternities. And that's interesting. What would end an eternity? Well, for Jesus, that eternity past that he had had with the Father was broken. And then a new eternity began when he rose from the dead. And he wants us to enter into that kind of relationship with him, to know that, know him. Just want to close with one last thought. It's from Psalm 23. Again, something David wrote. Where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. In some translations I like, it says, I lack nothing. He says, I am satisfied to be one of his sheep, to be following him. He says in verse 6 there, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's one desire should be our, our desire as well, to really be those following his leading, learning his ways, being satisfied and treasuring the things that he has to say and speak to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your blessings to us this day. Thank you that you open our eyes to see what is truly important and what's truly valuable. And Lord, we pray you'll help us to be careful with what it is we are pursuing and to not put some other thing before you and help us to even be willing to deal with any of those things that would keep us from having and enjoying that close relationship that you want to have with us. We thank you that we can learn to hear what it is you have to say and to seek to follow and obey your guiding for our lives. And we thank you that in the end, that will be what is so precious and so worthwhile to have been those who followed you and to hear your words say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.